Good evening, and you're in the right place. Welcome to the sixth annual joint episode of Bird Calls and What's Bugging You from the Knoll Foundation Studios here at Red River Radio. Tonight's program is made possible in part by the Community Foundation of North Louisiana. To take your calls tonight, we have a phone bank of volunteers. We invite you to call in with your questions about birds and or insects. I'm Cliff Shackelford, your host of Bird Calls, and I'm joined with my co-host, Dr. Beverly Burden of What's Bugging You. We're ready to answer your questions about birds and insects this evening, so let's hear from you. Recent thunderstorms have knocked out the toll-free phone line, so get your pen and paper ready. I'm going to give some alternate phone numbers, because remember, this is a call-in radio show. If you don't call in, Dr. Bird and I are just going to chit-chat away. We're going to have a good time. So get your pen and paper ready. The numbers to call, 318-798-0102 or 318-798-0105. So if the line is busy when you call, um, you'll just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. So it's a little different than normal because when we have the toll-free phone lines working, we can stack them, stack up the calls and have you waiting on deck. But we can't do that tonight. So we can thank, thank Mother Nature and the recent thunderstorms uh, playing havoc on yet more technology. Technology is great when it works. So here are the numbers again, 318-798-0102 or 318-798-0105. Beverly, welcome to the show. It's good to be back. And it's your show too. That's why this is a joint episode. I don't want to sound like it's my show. It's our show. It is. It is. And this is one time where birds and, and insects are equal. How about that? Almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's debatable in itself. It is. And, and, and it's amazing. We've talked about this, how, how we depend on each other, you know, especially my birds depend on your insects because more than 50% of species of birds are insectivorous. So they, they need, they need mm. your insects in good numbers to keep, keep my birds fat and happy. They, they actually did a study when I was down at Texas A&M. Um, where they looked at bird predation in cotton fields to see if they reduced the pest population significantly or not. And they, th- the results were not significant. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's an interesting concept nevertheless. Yeah. Yeah, cotton fields tend to be biological deserts for birds mm-hmm. and, and many other things. Uh, so uh, single species in these giant monocultures, they exclude tremendous amount of critters. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that's the place you wouldn't want to go bird watching is at a, in a cotton field. So, unfortunately. Um, so, we always end the bird call show with a conservation tip. And last month, we ended with um, uh, a discussion about participating in a bio blitz. And I thought that'd be interesting for us to talk about since it's a really cool way for places to inventory they're the flora and the fauna. So to remind listeners what a bioblitz is, it's a it's typically a 24-hour period where you get a bunch of volunteers and some of them are experts, not all of them because you can you can really learn by shadowing an expert, but these people get together and 
you, they try to identify all the plants and the animals and the fungi and, and more in a specific area. So it might be at a park or refuge and uh, or elsewhere. I, I, the last one I participated in was on a college campus. And it's a really cool way for everybody to see what it's like to collect data and, and shadow a, an expert. And, and like with you, it'd be mm-hmm. people l- looking to see how to identify insects and with me, how to identify birds, especially by sound. Um, so what, do you, what, what are your experiences with BioBlitzes? Well, here at the LSUS campus, we did do some BioBlitzing back in the early 2000s. And um, it was composed of um, biology students and um, the bird study group and anybody else that were welcome to come out. And they, it was great with the, um, the birding people because they would have cameras and they would take pictures yeah. on, on their binoculars. Of, and they chose mostly to do that with butterflies. But uh, it makes wonderful citizen scientists. We're learning more and more about how... Um, citizens in a community without much training can be a great um, aid to the scientist and um, because they may see things that we don't really see sometimes and um, it's phenomenal when you start adding up the number of species that you can find in a certain defined geographical area you become to appreciate the biodiversity even of urban areas mm-hmm. a lot more mm-hmm. yeah I would think for for y- for your taxa, uh, that the black light with the white sheet is a big hit, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and what a great way to point out with for kids especially what these insects are on the sheet. So maybe describe what I'm talking about for listeners that don't know about black lighting. Yeah, it's a it's a very um, trusted and true and a favorite collecting technique of of entomologists, and it's even more fun. When you get um, entomology students out there that have ne- or anybody who's never experienced that before, um, one time I set up a black light down on the um, Red River in North Central Texas, and um, a lot of biodiversity there. And you uh, you basically have some type of a a frame that you can hang a white sheet up onto, and then you shine a black light or UV light, same thing, up on that sheet and the insects are, are attracted to it. And um, sometimes um, it gets so intense that you have insects crawling into your ears and up your nose. Yeah. And, and I, um, I, I asked, um, I had some family down there, and I said, okay, I'll give, the, I'll give you a prize if you can go down there and stand there for one minute. <laughs> and. Um, it's, it's very hard to do so, but it brings in so many different times. One of my favorite black lighting stories is <clears throat> there is the, the students were collecting insects off the white sheet, and then this one student said, hey, this other insect flew in and ate the one I was going to get. Oh. And I said, huh, let me look. And it happened again. And it was a un... Not very many people know about this, but it looks like a praying mantis, but it's more closely related to what we call a lacewing. It's called a mantispid fly, Mm. and um, it is a predator. Um, Everybody in that order are predators, and um, so I said, those are even better. Catch those, Mm. because they rarely come into the collection, Mm -hmm. and so 
um, it's a very good way, especially to sample moths mm-hmm. and and other small flies in the area. But sometimes we get uh, um, large um, grasshoppers, crickets, um, and if you're out there, say from like eight to ten p.m. p.m. Yeah, it has to be at night, and you want to get away from the city lights mm-hmm. as much as possible because that's mm-hmm. competition. It's competition, mm-hmm. and so. When I blacklight here in the Shreveport area, I go out to the, um, the, um, oh, the astronomy site. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a big telescope down there, and um, that gets us just far enough away that we always catch really good stuff down there. And so, yeah, blacklighting is one of my, my favorite it, things to do and to, and to share that experience with other people. It's fascinating, and you mentioned about how hard it is to stand near it when it's really going crazy you know like 11 p.m midnight and i remember last time i did it i had i always keep a handkerchief in my back pocket well i made it into a bandana you know the bandana mm-hmm. around like a cowboy puts around his mouth mm-hmm. to keep the dust out and it worked great so mm-hmm. if you go black lighting take a bandana with you to to cover your or mouth now everybody nose. has masks or, ma- or covid mask yeah, yeah covid mask yeah is what um the students pulled out the last time I yeah took them. that's good and, but, but you still have to maybe take some cotton and plug your ears and you're up and so that they'll get in there too but yeah the COVID mask works really great with the um with covering the nose and the mouth and and everything that's cool Mm -hmm. so bio blitzes so if if listeners are interested uh do some googling around maybe go to your local parks and refuges and encourage them to to host a bio blitz and again it's just a 24-hour period um, to inventory all the plants and animals and fungi and others on a, at a specific site, and like Beverly mentioned, black black lighting is. I mean that that just blows me away. Mm. You, you you know you see moths sometimes around the light at, on the porch, but w- once you have this black light and that bed that white bed sheet, they all perch there. Um, it's just amazing the colors, the intricacy, uh, the patterns of, of some of these moths and uh, beetles coming to it it's just it, it's it, it's mind-blowing i think it, it really opens your eyes to there's a whole nother world out there you know some of the old timers um call moths millers millers yeah oh. and that's because um of the um the grain moths that mm. would lay their eggs in the grain so they couldn't mill them so the Oh. The, the moss got to it before they actual grind up the grain, so they were in itself millers as well. Okay, that's a good trivia, Tri- trivial pursuit <laughs> word right there. That's right. So bio blitzes, they're they're worth checking out. So um, let's see. This is a toll free. I'm sorry, we're, we're a call in show. We don't have a toll free line. So let me give the numbers out again. If you'd like to ask a question about birds or bugs or both. The numbers are 318-798-0102 or 318-798-0105. I remember calling some of my my mom's family in Germany. They spoke pretty good English, and I remember giving them a phone number to call back, and I I did the, the typical American thing, and I didn't say 0102 like these numbers I gave it. I, I said 0102, oh, yeah. and that just threw them off. And I and I was like, what's wrong? Why can't you understand my English? And then I thought, oh, gosh, I'm saying a letter and a number and a letter and a number. So, again, the number here is 318-798-0102 or 318 
800-610-0105. How about that? Depending on how you like your English to be recited with phone numbers. Um, okay, uh, so some other things we can talk about. I wanted to to talk a little bit about Lex. You know, mm-hmm. we, we were talking before the show, and you mentioned that there's some new thing found in the in the world of Lex, and you might define what a Lex is, um, mm-hmm. because birds there are several many species of birds that use Lex. For breeding purpose, so what? What? It, what is yeah, it? Yeah, Lex is is kind of the noun, and then the verb is is a lexine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when a group of males come together to collectively um, select females um, to mate, and um, they kind of um, that, that that's is that good enough? Well, it's in in the bird world, it's where the males get up basically on stage and the females select the male so the males are displaying and you know it to us to our eyes and ears they all look and sound the same but to the female there's just one of them's more vibrant singing better calling better and so they want the best genes to breed with to mate with so she selects um, the best of those males and so in the bird world we're thinking of things like prairie chickens um, in North America, those are, are lek-using birds. And, and we use the verb lekking, L-E-K-K-I-N-G, for the verb. And then in the tropics, there, there are all kinds of uh, uh, mannequins and cocks of the rock and other species of what we call cotingids that are lek-using. There's some others. There's a, there's a few species of hummingbirds that use leks. But it, it's basically mm-hmm. a, a stage where the males come all together and, and, and the, the ladies decide who, they, who they're going to they breed want. with. Yeah. Well, in a recent published paper in entomology, um, they discovered that there is a species of spiders that the males take and um, build individual nests, but they're all kind of social. They're grouped together. Mm-hmm. And um, by, by right, we have a lot of social insects, but we don't have a lot of social spiders and they're actually lecking and um, it's the first time that that's been discovered and reported um, with them insects that that's cool. or something that's not not birds yeah that's really neat and uh, what kind of spider I mean is it a big guy is it no col- these, colorful these these are called shieldback spiders and um, they're um, or they're part of the orb weaving family mm-hmm. yeah they're little bitty guys but um, um, the one thing that they never did see was they never saw an actual selection of a male with the female. Okay. But um, but there's a lot there to study from. That's neat. That's neat. You're listening to joint episode of Bird Calls and What's Bugging You. We have our first caller. We have Trisha from Shreveport. Trisha, what do you have for us? I have a friend that has a nest of robins in his backyard uh-huh. and um they've like started dive bombing him and now the eggs are cracked and he can't get to his tools or anything else and I don't know what to tell him to do and he tried to look it up do you have any hints or things how long will it take for them to grow up (laughs) so when you say the eggs have cracked you mean they've hatched or they were destroyed no 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 they hatched Okay. while they were eggs he tried to go out in the garden and the birds would get after him. Yeah. I, I, I would 
Go ahead. I'm, okay. I'm sorry. No, I, I think the the answer is going to be about two to two and a half weeks is, is what he needs to to wait for um, to to not disturb the birds and and the I mean the dive bombing you you can use an umbrella and, and just use that and, and make a mad dash for the whatever it was a tool shed I think you said yeah. so that might be an option right. but but you know l let them be good parents they're dive bombing because to them we're Godzilla and they're protecting the babies. And we should applaud these birds for being good parents. Um, and, 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 and remember that robins are eating a lot of pesky insects. Am I allowed to say that, Dr. Burden? Absolutely. Are, are insects pesky? I mean, I feel like I'm Pes insulting you. No, no, okay. or, or pestiferous. <laughs> okay, so Tricia, how's that sound? How about get, getting him an umbrella for a early Christmas gift? I told him to get a hard hat and a face mask, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, anything like that'll work. An umbrella, even a small one, would would at least deflect the bird. And you know, robins don't have sharp beaks or sharp claws. Mm. It's not like he's going to be getting stitches or anything. So he, it's okay. just it's just hurting his feelings. So if you can tell him to be a big boy and use an umbrella, and he'll be just fine. And you also have okay. to keep in mind that they think it's their backyard, not yours. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that's that that Robin claimed it long before we settled this land, right? So yep. all right. Well thanks for the call, Tricia. Thank you. Bye bye. We we've got an anonymous caller on the line here. Hello, Anonymous. Where are you calling from? Um Bernice is my address. In, in Bernice? Uh huh. Okay. I'm on the road right now. Okay. What do you got for us? I got two questions. I just thought of another one. Uh, uh, a while ago, y'all were talking about uh, 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 grain moths. Yes. And uh, are those the moths that that uh, that uh, come out of uh, say old bread or cookies or something? That's one of the species. There's actually several species, and the um, the most common one here is the um, Indian meal moth but we also have the Mediterranean meal moth. And if you look closely at the adults on the um, Indian meal moth, it's dark up near the head and then light on the back. And um, the problem with these is that their little caterpillars can actually lead, chew right through plastic bags. You have to have some kind of hard plastic bag to put your um, material in to keep them away from your food. But... Um, that brings us up to a general category known as pantry pest. And um, what some people do is they, um, when they bring home cookies or flour, they put them in the freezer for a day. And if there's any infestation in there, it'll kill them. And, you, and you'll probably never know that they're there. But if they get out and they start living in your pantry, then you have to take everything out, clean everything, find out what they're feeding on, throw that away. It's a lot of work, but it, it will eventually get rid of your pantry pest. What was your other question? The other day I saw a, a fox squirrel uh, going across a, a yard uh, towards a, a bluebird box. And the bluebird box was on a, a post. And, of course, uh, when, he, when he got close, well, the bluebird, uh, bluebird started dive vomiting and ran him off. Do squirrels have a taste for bluebird eggs or what? 
They, they do. Yeah, mammals of all kinds will be highly omnivorous. Even a squirrel that you think only eats nuts, uh-uh. He's eating, you know, buds on trees when they're juicy in the spring, and he's going to look for protein. Um, there, are, there are photographs of, of fox squirrels even grabbing nestling birds out of the nest and eating the, the nestling bird, the baby bird that can't fly. So yeah, they'll eat eggs, they'll eat baby birds, and uh, uh, it's not good for the bird, is it? So the bluebirds weren't just being overcautious, they have, uh, uh, they were defending their nest. That's right. Again, like the last caller, they're, they're being good parents because they know that everything's out to get their eggs and their babies. And so um, that they're, they're going to dive bomb the squirrels and the cats and even the you know, the dog walking by, they don't know a dog can't climb a tree or a post and dick, stick his hand in there. So to, to the bluebird, it's it's anything and everything walking or flying by, um, they're going to dive bomb. So, But the squirrel is capable, as you saw, getting on the box, and they can reach in and scoop out the, the contents and, and get, get a quick protein rush from what's inside. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Okay, thanks for the call. You're listening to joint episode of Bird Calls and What's Bugging You. This is Cliff Shackleford, resident ornithologist, and Dr. Beverly Burden, resident entomologist here at Red River Radio. We have a call on the line, John from Fishville. John, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, hey Cliff, I've talked to you three years in a row about the black uh, cowbird. Mm-hmm. And this year, instead of about 30 or 40, I've got 200. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious, what's the big difference this year? Uh, and maybe it's because they're getting in the habit of stopping at my place because they get into my chicken feed, and 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 they they get fat. Yeah, I think you're just seeing what happens in nature that that numbers aren't always consistent, and numbers go up and down, and it doesn't mean that necessarily that cowbirds are doing better it just means that you intercepted a flock that that um, decided to descend on you um, and so you know they're migratory they're, they're not going to stick around long you can shut your feeder down if you're putting feed out if they're annoying you just stop feeding for a, a, a day or two and and 200 mouths and stomachs need a lot of food so they'll they'll move on if, if you've shut the feeder down yeah, well, see, this feeder I'm doing is uh, for my pigeons and my chickens, and it's just out in the yard. It's not a feeder. But uh, are they are they ahead of schedule this year or behind um, on their migration? It, it's about right. This is almost mid-April, and just about everything has started moving. There's, of course, exceptions to that. Um, some things are, aren't in yet, but, but cowbirds, you know, they're, they're, there can be numbers just about any month of the year. And so maybe not 200, but they, uh, that, that's just pre- probably an anomaly. And, and if you're going to be putting food out um, to feed your domestic birds, then, then the cowbirds are going to stick around as long as there is that free government feeding program that you've got going, John? You're going to have have this if if the cowbirds are a problem to you. Yeah. Oh, they are not a problem. I love okay. it. I sit okay. out there in the evening and watch them. Oh. Okay. I, I, I love them. Okay. Could I get ask Beverly a question real quick? Yeah, go for it. Doctor Beverly, I've got uh, a dachshund. Uh, is there a special 
flea repellent for dachshunds. I think you own a dachshund, don't you? I do. Um, or she owns me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, it depends. I'm trying to think. Uh, fleas. There, there's some over-the-counter things, but I would consult my veterinarian. You know. Okay. But with fleas, you have to be careful to... Um, to maintain sanitation wherever the dog sleeps that's where the larvae of the fleas are going to be and you have to keep that clean you have to keep the area that the dog is around clean but um to repel um i would consult my veterinarian i don't want to i'm not a vet well she sleeps with me (laughs) i don't think i have fleas so okay i'll talk to i'll talk to the veterinarian you still have the dachshund that you and wally had yes sir Okay. Yeah. I, I was on the way to bring some stuff up for that doggy just just before Wally passed. So, yep. Cliff, you know, there's something that um, um, John brought up that I'm going to ask you to address. Some people might mistake um, black cowbirds with European starlings. And we know that the European starlings have in great right. masses like right. that. Good, good, good comment. And, and, and also, I'm thinking of grackles, too. Common grackles are moving through in, in big numbers. Um, but you're right. The European starling is speckled and and has a bright yellow bill on the adults right now. So most of those are going to be getting into breeding plumage if they're not already. So a, a pointy yellow bill, uh, very ir- iridescent. Uh, so in the shadows, it looks dark, but in the light, it can be green, purple, blue, but has little speckles on it. And, and they'll they'll raid your feeders, too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're introduced, as the name suggests. So, yes. yeah, we, we don't want to be friends with the European starling there. They were introduced over 100 years ago, and they've just spread like wildfire. And they are problems. And one of the big problems is they, they're cavity nesters, and so they kick out. They watch the woodpecker make a cavity which is you know a hollow in a tree that the woodpecker carves and they kick that woodpecker out they're very aggressive and they take mm-hmm. over the home they're basically like a squatter taking over the home mm-hmm. of the woodpecker and so there's parts of the country where there's been declines in red-headed woodpecker for example because of of competition by the overly aggressive european starling so yeah that yeah. is a problem bird yeah i was in a grocery store parking lot about three weeks ago and they were just coming in mass grows, you know, in the sky. Yeah. European starlings, European starlings. And um, so, yeah, they are. Do you know how they were introduced into the country? They, they were introduced by uh, somebody in, in uh, New York City. And um, they were, in, the intent was to control the Japanese, some Japanese beetle, right? Hmm. And so, also because somebody liked the way they sounded over in Europe, and uh, brought them over for those two reasons. They thought the song was pretty, and they thought they would control some kind of Japanese beetle that was infesting lawns. Mm-hmm. And this would have been, I, I don't have my notes in front of me, but I think it was maybe started as early as the 1870s through the 1890s is when they That's were That's the time in. period I, I remember as well, yeah, yeah. reading it in the literature. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't remember how many individuals. It might have been 20 or 30, and I don't know if other introductions were done, but they it's now, that's a bird in the, in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and, and, and here they are. You know, they went from zero to big numbers in, in 100 years, so... 
Yeah. So back to your dachshund, you know, he was asking about ways to keep the fleas off. I mean, it's a weenie dog. Can't you just lather it in French's yellow mustard? Maybe. Maybe. Would that, would that work? That I would keep the fleas off? I it, I don't know. It would. It's a it joke. would. I'm I know it's kidding. a joke. I'm just I know kidding. it's a joke. I couldn't resist. I love yeah. I love dachshunds. They're, they're cute. Uh, and I love the name weenie dog. And I think of m- yellow mustard and all that. So sorry. That's okay. I, I don't want to offend your there's, dog. There's a lot of people that dress dachshunds up at the Halloween as a hot dog. As a hot dog. With bun on both sides. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. It's very cute. Um, all right. So you're listening to Bird Calls and What's Bugging You, the sixth annual joint episode. And Dr. Beverly Burden is our resident entomologist here at Red River Radio. I'm Cliff Shackle for your resident ornithologist. So we have Mm -hmm. phone lines open. The number here to call is 318-798-0102. Or if that's busy, try 318-798-0105. And if it's either one's busy, just be please be patient with us while the toll-free lines are down and keep trying and, and hopefully you'll get through. And Laura from South Arkansas got through. Laura, how are you tonight? Very well, thank you. Uh huh. This is a question for the both of you. Okay. Recently, I saw two red-headed woodpeckers working the same tree. My question, first of all, is: Are they rare now to see? Um, secondly, uh, they were really working and. Cliff, I'd like to ask you to speak about the fact that the woodpecker's brain is non-concussive as they just tear into that tree. And uh, Dr. Beverly, what are they trying to get to? Well, and I'll take my question offline. I'll, I'll, I'll let Cliff answer the the. the bird stuff yeah so the red-headed woodpecker is not rare it's as in it's not endangered or threatened um, it's not super common either so it's kind of in the middle and you can see them um, on occasion and uh, it's pretty exciting this is the woodpecker with an entire red hood head almost a red hood black body with looks like white backpack on the back so he's very it's three colors red black and white and the red is very red the black is pure black and the white is snow white so they're they're probably if they're not foraging um and beverly can uh can talk to that but they could also be excavating the the nest cavity this is the time of the year where pairs are paired up and looking to make a cavity which is the nursery just like we when we're gonna have, when we're expecting, we you know paint the the, the guest room and it becomes the baby's room, the nursery. Well, these these woodpeckers are are possibly excavating for uh, a nest cavity, but they could be foraging as well. And mm-hmm. and so, what what do you think might they might be getting after? Well, there are two different types of beetles um, that are large enough to be of any foraging advantage for a bird. And they're called the flat-headed wood-boring beetles, and then there's the round-headed wood-boring beetles. And their larvae gets to be about the size or maybe a little bit larger than um, June bug grubs that you dig up in your yard. And so yeah. those those are would be nice, fat, juicy morsels for the, for the birds to, to eat. Now, Cliff, I've seen trees where there's concentric holes all around the tree. Mm-hmm. Is that 
what picture yeah, the image? Th- that's a yellow-bellied sapsucker. Okay. Makes those, it looks like someone took a Tommy gun and went <laughs> in perfect, all around or, the tree. perfect horizontal rows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and I want to mention that woodpeckers are not killing trees. Grandpa may have told you that a woodpecker on a tree is is going to kill the tree. The trees the, the trees are often dead or dying already if they're feeding on there, but the sapsucker, he does not want a dead tree. He wants a very alive tree because the those little sap wells ooze to repair those little holes he's doing, and, and that sapsucker will come back later when the sap is oozed and not only eat the sap, but insects are attracted to that, that tasty sap. Mm-hmm. And, or resin, and, and they'll eat the insect as well. Um, so it needs to be a live tree for that. So sap suckers are not killing the tree by putting those, those, those lines of holes, little bitty drill holes on the tree. And a lot of people don't realize that... Um, go, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Laura. I'd like Mr. Cliff to um, speak to the fact that the, the brain within oh, yeah. the... Mm-hmm within the woodpecker uh, apparently it's non-concussive or something yeah and it would have to be if you if you see what a woodpecker's doing they've got a, a thickened skull they've got extra muscles to keep that brain very secure and and um, very safe from um, the blows that the woodpecker gives and and if you're mm-hmm. just you, you know when you hear that that that's I mean that's I don't know how many times per second that that's coming out, but that's, you know, you have to have high-speed photography, video photography, to to be able to slow it down to see what's happening. So the the woodpecker has, the the muscle also acts as a shock absorber in the neck. Um, And so they also have a, uh, what's called a ramphotheca, which is a bony growth around the bill you can't really see. Um, until maybe the bird's dead, you can see this like a fingernail come off of the, the, the bill and that bony sheath, that ramphotheca is ever growing and, and because of, of wear and tear on the bill. So yeah, woodpeckers have these specialties that you mentioned, Laura, the, the ability to pound on um, even a, a metal gutter. You, you'll hear them on your, your rain gutters and they're doing that for communication. So if you think that, oh gosh, the woodpecker's gonna damage my house, he found a drum, a very loud drum, and when he does that, he's, he's communicating to other woodpeckers of his kind that, hey, I'm Bob, this is my territory, and you keep out. And so that's why they're dr- drumming on telephone poles, um, chimney caps, metal chimney caps, metal uh, leaf, leaf guards, and rain gutters, and so forth. They're communicating. That is a form of communication. It is not, that is not Woody Woodpecker, like in the cartoon, being mischievous and, and he's going to make your house fall apart. That's not what's going to happen. I have him too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks you. for the call, okay. Laura. When, okay. Bye-bye. One additional comment. You say that people think that they're killing the tree. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that if you cut a tree down, there'll be growth circles and you can count them and that would be the growth periods. Well, the center of the tree, that is not living tissue for the tree. The only living tissue of the tree is on the outside closest to the bark. And so um, a, they're not really damaging the tree that much at all because of that, because it's already dead in there. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, we, we were talking about that before the show about I was asking you about the nutritional value of a mm-hmm. snag. A snag is any standing dead tree, whether it's pine, hardwood or other. But when they first die, you know, from we with droughts, boy, we see a lot of trees die. This, this summer was brutal for a lot of pine trees in my area in Lufkin, Nacogdoches, where we didn't have rain for probably five to six months during the period that trees need it. And, and a lot of pines died. And so the woodpeckers respond by going in there and, and mining like a gold miner some of your beetles that you mentioned. And mm-hmm. uh, so the, the beetles respond to the stress in the tree. You know, it might be a lightning strike, might, might be the aforementioned drought. Uh, and, and just old age. I mean, these things aren't supposed to live forever, just like you and I aren't supposed to live forever. So things are supposed to die. But, but woodpeckers, it's, a, it's an old myth that woodpeckers are killing trees. Um, and, you know, the myth is because, well, the tree's dead and I, I done seen a woodpecker on it. Must have a, a plus B equals C. That, that's not how things work in ecology. So the woodpeckers simply... Uh, attracted to the dead tree because it's full of insects, beetles, like Beverly mentioned, that are breaking down the tree, that are helping with decomposition. And, and when that snag falls, it, be, it gets a name change. It's called a log. And, and those bugs are still working hard to decompose that and put those nutrients back in the soil. So that, that's real important for forest health is to Leave that dead wood. I, I mentioned this a lot on the show is if you've got a dead tree on your property, it's not going to fall on the house or the cars or the playscape. Leave it mm-hmm. and, and, and let that nutri- nutrition of the tree decomposing, th- that nutrient load get back and cycle back into your forest, back into your property. Yeah. Every time I take my students out um, collecting and we're going through, the, you know, hiking trails, I tell them to always look for logs. Because, and then they have these little um, linoleum knives mm. that we can use to dig into the log, and you'll find all kinds of insects in the logs. One of the largest beetles um, that you can find in the logs are called um, pat leather beetles or best bugs, and um, they have very strong um, grooves in their hind wings, and um, they are almost social because they or they're gregarious, because once you find one, you normally find find several. And um, you, you just never know what you're going to find in a dead log, including the termites. And this is the one, the Bessie bug you mentioned, this is the one you can pick up, put near your ear, and actually hear it hissing. It, mm-hmm. makes, it makes a little vocalization. Mm-hmm. And, and not to be confused with the, the Sawyer beetle, which you can hear their biting mouth parts chomping on the tree mm-hmm. and that's remarkable to me is wa- walking up on a freshly dead pine tree and and there's i don't know 50 or 100 of these sawyer beetles in there and you can hear mm-hmm. and it's just amazing that that these are little bitty you know the size smaller than your pinky and they're in there chomping away at the at the wood and, and eating it amazing birds are amazing insects are amazing it's there was there, there's one um, <coughs> beetle that's that's very interesting. It's called the death watch beetle, Ooh. and um, sometimes I talk about this closer to Halloween. And um, back when houses didn't have sheetrock or a lot of sheetrock, there were just wood houses. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they these death wise beetles would be feeding in the wood but but that you had to be very quiet to hear them. Mm. And so most of the people, when you have a loved one that's dying, they stay in vigil. They, they sit with them overnight. Mm-hmm. And so they thought whenever you heard the death watch beetle, then the death was near. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. I, I love the trivia stuff. That, that is cool <laughs> stuff. That's right. You're listening to a joint episode of What's Bugging You and Bird Calls. I'm Cliff Shackelford, and with me is Dr. Beverly Burden, and we're here to take your calls. The Two phone numbers to call, 318-798-0102 or 318-798-0105. And I wanted to play a recording real quick of, of a bird that um, has been singing like crazy out in my yard. And maybe people have heard it and they think it's the neighbor whistling. It's called the white-throated sparrow. And they only winter with us. They're about to leave us. In April's the month when... Probably 99% of them depart Texas and Louisiana and the South. So I just want to play that real quick because it's a clear whistle and they're going crazy right now. So here it is, White-Throated Sparrow. Real clear whistles. Mm. You'll, you'll, again, you'll think it's the neighbor. And, and and these guys are getting into hyperdrive singing. Let's listen to another white throated sparrow. Old timers call him Sam Peabody because you have to have a bit of an imagination, but they sound like they're saying Sam Peabody, Peabody, Peabody. It's a great name. It, it, it's a great song. Yeah, it's beautiful. It is, a, it is a beautiful song. And they're in my backyard several at a time singing. And if I didn't know what the heck's going on, I'd think, oh, I've got a really happy neighbor over there on the other side of the fence. It is a neighbor, but it's the feathered kind. And it's a great one to have. So we, we really love the white-throated sparrows in our backyard. You're listening to What's Bugging You and Bird Calls, the sixth annual joint episode uh, you have a few minutes left to call us if you have a question about birds and or insects. The number is 318-798-0102 or 318-798-0105. We've got just a few minutes left. Um, Dr. Burden, let's talk a little bit about mosquitoes. There's a new one out there. What, what can you tell us about this new mosquito? Yeah, mosquitoes, um, of course, are a part of the natural ecosystem and there are over 300 species of mosquitoes in in the listening area right now but there's only a a small handful that can transmit or what we call vector diseases and um, there is one of the three that's called the culex mosquitoes and um, the native culex mosquito here can transmit West Nile virus, um, St. Louis encephalitis, and other types of um, encephalitis that can cause um, swelling in the brain and the spinal cord. But they've just discovered that there is an invasive Culex mosquito, brand new, um, never been reported from Florida yet, and they're not sure how far north they can go, but because they're tropical in nature, but there's every evidence to show that we now have another species that can transmit vector diseases like West Nile virus. And so um, it's, it's the same story all the time. 
you know, we have to be, be, be very careful on what we bring from one geographical location to another geographical mm-hmm. location so that we're not transporting um, non-native species. Hitching a ride. Hitching a ride. Bringing the wrong hitchhiker to town. Mm-hmm. It, you know, that, that makes me think of, of a remarkable story that I, I'm not a historian and, and you might know more about it, but just think of the Panama Canal and, and that was only, that was maybe early 1900s, 1905, 1910, somewhere in there, that workers were dying by the thousands and no one could figure it out. Yeah. And, and, and you know the answer to this, you know what it was, but just think that was only, what, 120 years ago, mm-hmm. which in, in terms of how long Homo sapiens has been around is a blink of an eye. And we didn't have a clue what was killing these workers down in the Panama Canal construction. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, There is, again, a group of mosquitoes. They're in the genus Aedes. And um, we have two species, Aedes albopictus and Aedes aegypti. Now, Aedes aegypti is native. Um, Aedes albopictus is an introduced vector. But to get back to Cliff's question is that these mosquitoes were transmitting yellow fever. And it's the first time that scientists have actually proven that a mosquito can transmit a, um, an arbovirus. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, and, and again, now we know so much more about what can transmit, how they transmit, the life cycles, but it's, but like you said, it's only about 100 years ago, yep. maybe 150 now, but still in time that, that's pretty short in history. And um, most of the work was not actually done in the Panama Canal. It was done over in um, Havana. And um, it was a U.S. Army physician by the name of um, Walter Reed. And he was in collaboration with a, a scientist there in Cuba, um, his last name was Finley, Carlos Finley. And um, together, they worked together and did an experiment, let some of the people get bit by yellow fever. They got sick and died. The other people they protected from mosquitoes, they did not get yellow fever, and they survived. And so you might think that that's a very crude way to do science, but that's the only way we had back then. Yeah, and the, you know the, the workers would die, and they would, of course, just put out a call for more workers needed and put them out there not knowing what was going on. So you mentioned Walter Reed, and that's uh, obviously the namesake of the the uh, the hospital up at, in D.C. where mm-hmm. the per, whatever the president is at the time will get sir, uh, get him his health service there at Walter Reed. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Very nice. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, and I just think back, back about three years ago when we, we had no clue about COVID and, and how it was transmitted transmitted and anything about it well just this is history repeating itself and so just think how dumbfounded we were 120 years Mm. ago or less 118 years ago with with yellow fever Mm. in the construction of the the panama canal and how many people had to die uh for for just not knowing that maybe mosquito netting would help maybe a little uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if DEET De- was even invented then. No, no, it was not. Yeah. But but let me go ahead and, and mention, um, I call them the five Ds of mosquito protection, and that is a lot of mosquitoes will bite at dusk and then at dawn. Mm-hmm. So that's one D. You need to dress appropriately with long sleeves. You need to wear DEET as repellent. 
you need to make sure all of your doors and windows are sealed so they can't enter the house. And then the number one important thing is to drain any standing water. Mm -hmm. That's critical. And that's one thing that Walter Reed and them did discover, that the mosquitoes were breeding in um, containers with standing water. And with all the rain we've had, and now the temperatures are increasing, um, we're going to see a population explosion of mosquitoes if people don't control standing water. Mm -hmm. That's right. So that's a good point. Control the the standing water on your property. Um, Okay, we've got a call from Steve from Bernice. Steve, what do you have for us? I thought you were. Uh, uh, I, I thought it was Anopheles mosquitoes that carried yellow fever. They're a big mosquito that stands on their head when they bite you. In the, uh, uh, am I wrong? Um, probably not. Sometimes I get those two confused. It's it's just my world of dyslexia. But um, yeah, the, the the three groups are malaria, yellow fever, and um, and um, Culex, and with the encephalitis. So, and they do stand on their head. So that's very interesting. Not, the other mosquitoes don't do that. There's some other subtle differences, but that's the key one. But they're a big mosquito, and it, that, it, it hurts when they bite you because, because they're so big. They are. All right, Steve, thank, thank you for the call. Appreciate that. Yeah, mosquitoes, um, I've heard you mention that many times on your show. It's, it, it's the, the number one problem. I don't know how to phrase this. Well, it's it's the most dangerous the most animal. Most dangerous animal, yeah, in the world because the statistics from the CDC say that every four minutes a child in Africa dies of malaria. Yeah, and we're worried about sharks and mountain lions, but mm-hmm. we need to be worried about that little mosquito, that little guy buzzing around. Our... Mosquitoes can find you if you stay out of the oceans. You're safe in the sharks. That's my <laughs> philosophy. You know, <laughs> don't, don't go, go in there. They're sharks. The yeah. <laughs> they didn't do that in the movie Jaws, did they? They still went swimming even after the the announcement, although that was Hollywood, of course. Um, you're listening to the final minutes. We've got about 10 minutes or less, probably nine minutes. If you want to call us, you're listening to a joint episode of What's Bugging You and Bird Calls with Dr. Beverly Burden and Cliff Shackleford. The number here is 318-798-0102 or 318-798-0105. So, okay, another thing that I'd like to talk to you about that happens this time of the year are termite emergence mm-hmm. and, and and how that can be such a buffet for birds. I've seen termites explode out of uh, old stumps in the yard and and various insectivorous birds are just gobbling them up you know they're they're itty bitty but after 10 minutes of grabbing one every second that can add up sure um and so what what do we need to know about termite emergence um uh, in this part of the world well first of all i would if somebody called me and say i've got a, a termite swarm i would ask them are they in the house or are they outside And um, sometimes they do swarm inside, and they only swarm in the spring. But here's the thing. So do fire ants. Fire ants also can swarm at about the same time as termites can swarm. But termites only swarm in the spring, whereas fire ants can um, swarm um, throughout the year as long as there's the correct temperature. Um, Fire ants swarm uh, after a rain once it gets to a certain temperature. 
and you can kick open a fire ant mound, and if you see these flittering silver things, mm-hmm. that's the wings of the termites that are going to fly away. They're known as the reproductives. Um, but you, you should be able to tell termites from ants because um, termites don't have a, a skinny a waist as ants do. And also termites' antenna are like Mardi Gras beads where ants, termite antennas are like Mardi Gras beads where as ants, they're um, straight and elbowed. Can you see that with a naked eye? Yeah, you should be able to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess yeah. I've never looked that closely at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know. I don't guess I've seen a lot of birds camping out at a fire ant emergence. I wonder if the formic acid is. I'm sure it would. Too strong. It might be. And termites don't have any. I mean, they must taste good because I've seen so many flycatchers and well, wrens and things. A lot of animals eat termites. Mm. You know, um, certain primates. You know, fish for termites with the little sticks and everything. Right. They, I've seen them do it out at Chip Haven. Okay. And so, and so, um, yeah, termites are, are good fodder. Yeah. All right. You're listening to joint episode of Bird Calls and What's Bugging You. We've got Patrick from Shreveport on the line. Patrick, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. I actually had an insect question. Okay. Go, go for it. Oh, I was, I've been seeing these large bundles of caterpillars in the woods. I've just always wondered what they become. They just are kind of a nest of several dozen to a hundred or so, and just a silk webbing between just clumps of dead fall. Yeah, there's a lot of um, caterpillars that will form little colonies, and it's a form of protection. Um, you know, just like fish are in schools, other things like that. If you If there's a bunch of you, some of them some of you will get eaten, some of you won't. And um, all caterpillars turn into either butterflies or moths. Um, and most of the time, it's a moth. And they tend to be kind of tree-specific, so you might find them some around peach trees, some around um, pecan trees. There are some that are known as the tent caterpillars that you've seen in, in the summer where they go up there and they have all this webbing and people like to cut it down and, and burn it. I don't know why they do that in the South, but we do. And um, so it, it's interesting observational. Good good work, Patrick. Thank you. What do those bagworms on pecans turn out to be? Any any Are they noctuid moths? Or? Yeah, most of them okay. are. Yeah. Mostly moths. Noctuids are just small, nondescript brown moths. Uh, I always think of noctuids as being kind of like sparrows. Yeah, yeah. They're you know? they're common and everywhere and all look the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and those don't, you know, you're right. We like to cut them down and burn them, but they don't kill the tree. No. They don't defoliate the whole tree. Not, not as much as you think they would. But, you know, aesthetically, they're bad. And, uh, and let me just give the viewers, I mean, the... Um, the listeners one hint is to don't go out there after lunch and cut it out and burn it because at that point all the caterpillars are out on the other branches foraging oh. and they only come back to the tent at night so go out there early in the morning and if you're going to burn it i say to people all the time you get a little bit more snap crackle pop to your efforts oh so know your enemy yeah yeah and they're all, they're out and about in the day don't mm-hmm. don't don't go to the tent in the There's middle of the day no need to burn down an empty house yeah and, and there, there are birds that will eat those those hairy mm-hmm. caterpillars yellow-billed cuckoos what we call a rain crow is a colloquial name they they feast on hairy caterpillars so let the birds be your 
your pest control. That's what they're there for. So, all right, we got final minutes here. We have uh, John is calling back from Fishville. John, you just can't get enough of us. What do you got? <laughs> okay, for Dr. Beverly, is diatomaceous earth uh, effective on uh, the fire ant beds? No, not at all, okay. because it, it um, they don't they won't eat it. Ne- neither are grits. People claim that they put grits on top of fire ant mounds, and when the ant eats it, the grit particles swell up and kill the fire ant. If if that actually worked, um, everybody would be out there buying grits. And so yeah. the best thing to treat fire ant mounds with is two things. You can keep washing them out, keep disturbing the nest, and eventually they'll go away. Or you can apply a pesticide. If you want to apply a pesticide, make sure that the active ingredient is called acephate. Acephate. That's, that's, that's the one I'm using. Yeah. The, those fire ants are, well, it's been a challenge for about five years now. I almost have control. I concentrate on the perimeter. The, the perimeter? perimeter. Yeah. Yes, yes. And that's how you keep them from coming in because they're going to come back every year. Oh, yeah, and what a, a lot of, what a lot of people say, and i got to say this quick, um, is that they think that if you kill a mound, it, that just means that the mound moves somewhere else. So what happens is there's a, there's a main mound, and there's, there's little mounds all around there. So you, when you kill one, then the other mounds can grow. They're little, not being suppressed by the main sa- mound. Little satellite mounds. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to say it. And so they're all, they're all kind of the same working together then. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Yeah. So those are the mounds that are going out looking for a new home. I understand that. Yep. Great. All right. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you. Keep thank up you. The good work, guys. Thank you, John. Thanks for the call. Uh, final minutes here of bird calls. Maybe, maybe two more minutes. What What do you think we should talk about? Okay. Well, let's change the subject to spiders for a oh, second. Okay. Um, everybody knows a black widow sp- spider. But there is also a brown widow spider, mm-hmm. and they've done some new research on that. And it seems like the brown widow spiders um, will seek out and kill the black widow spiders. Mm. And it doesn't matter if it's other types of spiders in the same uh, family or not. They actually seek out just to kill black widow spiders and black widow spiders, you know, the same. And so that's an unusual behavior that we don't see very much in spiders. So uh, we get a lot of spider. I get a lot of spider stuff going on too. Yeah, yeah. S- spider wars. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. So are are they eating the blacks, widows, or are they just trying to reduce competition? Or would you would think it would become if it was competition, then they'd be. Um, bothering other spiders that's close right. to them and they don't right they ignore those interesting but they'll go over to the black widow um area and kill kill her interesting well this concludes this evening's episode you've been listening to a joint episode of bird calls with me cliff shackle ford resident ornithologist here at red river radio and dr beverly burden resident entomologist here at red river radio tonight's show has been made possible in part by the community foundation of north louisiana Tonight's episode was assisted by Kiara Lafitte, and there were several volunteers operating the phone bank, and the phones worked. All right. This show will be available soon as a podcast on our website at redriverradio.org. 
Be sure to join us for the next episode of Bird Calls next month at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, May 9th, and the next episode of What's Bugging You at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, May 16th, one week apart from one another. Do it for the birds and the bugs. <laughs>